Who wouldn't want to be happier? You know, I think happiness is one of those things that we can all say that you could never have enough of. Certainly there's something to be said about contentment in our lives, but when we think about happiness and the way that we approach life and how we live each day, I'm sure we could all say that we could be happier. We would like to be happier. You know, people look for happiness in a lot of different ways, don't they? And I think the number one way that people look at it or look for happiness is through material things. And we all know that doesn't work. We've seen it over and over how those things, they lose their temptations to them. We see people get things and then they want other things. And so they're constantly grasping at these things that aren't bringing them happiness, where they may think that it could. I want to look at a few things this morning that I think can bring us greater happiness. Read a, a study not too long ago, and it talked about things that, that would bring people happiness. And they did some studies, and they, they measured people's happinesses and, and how they felt with their outlook on life. You know, as we look at these things, I think it was a good study because the main point of the study was determined that happiness is not determined by genetics or health and other factors outside of our control. Happiness is within us to obtain. And it's up to us to look for those things that can build greater happiness. And I think the study did a good job of proving that in the different tasks that it set out to prove that it is within us. No matter our circumstance, we can choose to be happier. One of the first tasks that they did was to write letters of gratitude to individuals. Things that people had done for them or things that they felt grateful for others in their lives in doing so. You know, we look at that. And what the study revealed was those individuals, after a certain amount of time, did feel a certain amount of happiness had grown in their lives. You know, all of these tasks that we're going to look at, all of these things that they set out to prove, are deeply rooted in biblical principles. We all know it. We've all seen it. Not that they credited biblical principles for the studies they did or the results that they found, but we know them all to be true and found in the Bible. Let's start in Psalms 107 and verse 21. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works for, to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. All the many wonderful works He's done for us should be recognized. If we point those things out in our life and we make that a focal point, that everything that's good in this life comes from God, that puts us in a better position to recognize Him as our Creator and Provider of all things that we have that are good. You know, we should verbalize that recognition through thanksgiving to Him. He should hear that from us in our lives. He should see that in our lives, that we are grateful for those things that He's provided. And when we declare those works, it will cause happiness and rejoicing in our lives as well. In Ephesians 5 and verse 20, we read here, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. Not at just certain times, but always in our lives. A thankful life centered around God. We see no time in our lives that we're not blessed in some way. We have to recognize those blessings. Continuing our thanks even in tough times 
we'll remove the focus of things we feel are lacking. You know, we can do that, can't we? We can feel things that are lacking in our lives, and we focus that, on that one thing that we feel is missing. Why do we do that when we have so much to be thankful for and, and in so many ways? In Philippians 4 and verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to man. You know, it says, be anxious for nothing. In some uh, translations, it says, be careful for nothing. I can remember as a kid, mom always telling us, now you be careful. Be careful. No matter what we did, we had to be careful. You know, I remember just thinking, you know, do we have to be careful or can we have some fun? You know, many of us grew up that way. We had parents that looked out for us. And they drove that into us to be careful. Think about the things that could happen. Avoid those things that are going to be hurtful. We have that in our lives. And we were lucky to have someone that looked out for us that way. But it can become a way of life that we get hung up on. We worry about things that are unfounded. We worry about things that we never experience. We worry and we worry and we worry and we create a life for ourselves that's centered around worry. He's telling us to avoid that. Don't be careful for those things, so to say. If it's on your mind, pray about it. You know, that's the action that we can take. The one action that's going to ha have an impact toward solutions. Petition God for whatever it is that you need. And in doing so, be thankful for all the things you have. You know, I see this passage much like the, much like the passage where it tells us to pray for our enemies. You know, that's a hard thing for us to do. But you know what happens when you pray for your enemies? Your attitude towards those people is going to be much better, isn't it? And what we find is if part of the problem's on with us, that problem tends to rectify itself, doesn't it? And in doing so, many, many of these relationships that have been bad in the past have healed themselves. Because it's hard to pray for somebody when you know your attitude toward them is wrong, isn't it? You know, this is, this is much the same way. If our attitude towards life is correct and the way it should be, then it's easier to find happiness in ourselves. Another point that it wanted to draw out was you need to be optimistic in your life if you want to be happy. Again, a biblical principle. I think God wants us to be, to be uh, optimistic. We're supposed to have an optimistic attitude. If we don't have an optimistic attitude, then, then what are we doing as Christians? You know, the, the optimism comes from the things that God's promised us. The promises that He's made that we can count on to come. You know, when I think about optimism, I think back to a, a uh, roommate that I had in college. I didn't know the guy when he moved in. He was one of Jeremy's friends. Apparently he had, uh, had a fallen out with a roommate or something else. I don't know what happened. But he ended up sleeping at, at our apartment for the better part of a, of a semester. And, you know, this guy, he was totally optimistic. You know, he worked the, late, the night shift, so when I got home from work or from class, he'd be laying out in the, in the middle of the living room floor asleep, and I'd watch TV right over the top of him, and it didn't bother him. 
But you know, when you talk to this guy, you would think, man, you know, you got to work the late shift, you got to work all night. You're not in school like you want to be because your financial situation won't let you do that. He had so many reasons why he couldn't be optimistic. But you never saw a more optimistic guy than this. He had great things that he wanted to accomplish. You know, I remember being jealous of that optimism. Because I thought, man, if a, guy, if a guy like that that doesn't have a lot going can be optimistic in life, how come I can't feel that same way? And we see that in other individuals. And we want that for ourselves. So how do we get to that point? We implement the things that we're talking about here that God had intended for our lives to be thankful for the things that we have and recognize how blessed we are and to be optimistic for the future. You know, pessimistic people don't typically look into the future, do they? They live in the here and now. And they don't see a situation where things get any better. And we can be drawn into that. And it can take what happiness that we have. And so we need to guard against that. Those pessimistic people, they focus on the present and the things in the present that they wish were different. But they have a hard time and they struggle to take actions to make any changes. In Isaiah 65 and 18, it says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. He created his people to be joyous. He says, Rejoice forever in what I create. And rejoicing forever requires an optimistic attitude, doesn't it? We have to be optimistic in order to fulfill that attitude. Because those hard times will come in our lives. There will be situations we don't want to deal with. You know, those situations can have a far greater impact on us if we're not grateful and we're not joyous as God would have us to be. In Psalms 118 and verse 24 it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, Britt loves to sing that song. And I love to sing it with him. It's a good song. It's a song that tells us that every day is a new day and we have the chance to right the wrongs in our lives, to do things, to change things, and make things more, more closer to what God would have from us and what we want in our own lives. I hope this is one of those passages that come to us regularly, that we think about, that there is a possibility and an opportunity for renewing in our lives. Each day gives us opportunity to right those things. And we read passages such as Ephesians 4 and 26 that says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Because every day we have is a new day. A new chance to make the decisions that we would want to make. Every new day should be approached with an optimistic attitude that says, Today will be better. <clears throat> Excuse me, in James 1 and verse 9 it says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. This is how we should think about our situations. Whatever situation may be, this doesn't say the brother of low degree situation will change, unfortunately. You know, we may be in situations that aren't going to change, but we can find the things that, and the blessings in our lives and, and be joyful for those things. It says he should rejoice because through Christ he's exalted and there's no difference between him and anyone else in God's kingdom. You know, just like the study set out to prove, joy lies within us and we can have that if that's truly what we want. You know, when we look at our situation and our standing in God's kingdom, we're all equal. It doesn't matter our circumstance. It doesn't matter our situation. We're all equal. And we all have equal opportunity 
to do His will and obey Him. You know, the problems we face are relative to our experiences in life. You know, to someone of great wealth, a broken washing machine or, or a broken car is not that big a deal. But someone with more modest means, that may be a big deal. That may be something that, that they really have to, talk, to put a effort into in figuring out a way to rectify that situation. But you take that same individual and they face other things in their life, they might, may find to be very easy. They might find it easy to overcome the things that they deal with in life. And that same wealthy person that struggled, that didn't struggle in that financial situation, may find those other situations, such as, you know, a sick relative or things like that, may, they may find that very difficult to deal with. You know, whatever it is for us, we have to remember that God is there for us, and we have to believe that He helps His children. Just as they found in the study, staying optimistic in our thinking will help us have a happier life, more focused on what's important to God. A third uh, task that they did was counting their blessings. Of course, they didn't call them blessings at the time, but, but count the things that, that you have in your life. And I think we've all heard that throughout our lives. You know, we sing the song, count your many blessings. When we have people giving us advice, they say, count your blessings. And there's a reason for that. It forces us to focus on things that are right in our lives, even when we find things that we may not feel are correct at all. In James 1 and 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every material thing we have, every opportunity, every relationship, and every spiritual gift we enjoy comes from God. It tells us that. You know, if we set out to write down all the many things that the blessings that we have in our lives, we would probably sit here for a very long time, each and every one of us. Probably on what we normally, uh, the time we allot for a service. We could sit and just write and write of the things that we have to be thankful for. But unfortunately, we don't stop and think of those things nearly often enough. I say we don't. Some of you may. And that's good if you do. You know, the time to decide we'll count our blessings when we're feeling defeated is when we, we don't feel defeated at all. Because too many times when we find ourselves in those situations, we have this helpless feeling that we don't know what to do. We should do that daily. We should do it on a regular basis to recognize those things that are right in our lives. You know, make the commitment to shift that focus from what might seem wrong to the things in your life that you know are right. That's the type of thing that will make us life, life easier and give us greater happiness. It will also prevent us from getting in those situations that seem so helpless. You know, David realized the numerous blessings that God bestowed upon him and wrote about them in Psalms 103. Beginning there in verse 1, it says, A psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. 
He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, not nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, that, that was a very lengthy passage, but I think we can break that down. In verses 3 through 5, he talks about his personal blessings. Blessings that are different for each of us. In 6 through 7, he talks about the Lord's righteous deeds. He gives us a way out of our oppression from his life and our sin. And then finally in verses 8 through 12, he talks about the Lord's gracious and loving nature, his love for all of us and willingness to forgive. David recognized all the things that God gives and prayed that his soul would be a blessing in return to God. That he would not forget the benefits of being one of God's people. Understanding how blessed we are is the beginning to being thankful. To looking at those things and understanding that they all come from Him. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. We read that. But we have to understand it and we have to apply it in our lives to know those things are true. So take note of your blessings just as David did in this passage. Everything that, it, that was done he recognized in that one short passage. A fourth task that they talked about in this study was using your strengths. Uh, this habit too seems to heighten happiness as it said in the, in the study. And I think we find throughout the passages that that's, that's something that we've been taught. God's blessed us all in different ways and he, he gave us all different talents. He doesn't look to someone that lacks talent in a given area to perform flawlessly in that area. So let's look an example of, at an example of that. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 31, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, very varieties of tongues, all are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do you all gifts of healings? Do you all speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So God sets us all as individuals up with different roles and different talents. Skipping back up to verse 18, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. You know, sometimes in life we try to play a role that we're not fitted for, and it can become discouraging. We get discouraged in those things, don't we? Because sometimes we're trying something that we're just not good at. We see this in a lot of young people, you know. When they set out in life and they're younger and they want to do good things, and they see and they say, I want to help people. And often we see them that, well, I want to be a doctor. Well, they may not be suited for a doctor. Maybe they're more suited to be a nurse. Maybe they're more suited to be a counselor. Maybe they're more suited to do something altogether different than helping people. Maybe helping them manage their finances. The talents are different. 
And we see sometimes these young individuals that they struggle because they're trying to do something that they're just not good at. And going back here, the Bible's pointing that out, that we all have different talents, and we have to use those and play to our strengths. We can get caught up on the talents of others and try doing something that doesn't fit us specifically. And we may even grow frustrated trying to fulfill a role we aren't suited for. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, And he, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge and of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, we see the point made that different people are suited for different tasks. And if we're all different, then something must bring us together. What brings us together is a common faith and a common goal to serve God. The idea that people should focus on their strength is supported in God's Word. And just as the study pointed out, to play to your strengths, to do what you're good at, that's something that God supported. And He gave us all different talents. Item number five that they, they pointed out in this, this specific study was committing acts of kindness toward others also helps us uh, increase happiness in our own lives. I think probably we've all experienced this at times when we have an opportunity to arise and we help some other individual or some, some group of people and we find that that does bring fulfillment in our lives and that we can... Uh, have increased happiness by using what blessings we've been given to help others. In Romans 15 and verse 2, it says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Committing those acts of kindness does not make us feel good. It does make us feel good. And while serving God typically does feel good, we should be doing those things out of concern from that, for that individual. You know, even though that's not the reason that we do it. It's not so that we feel good about ourselves. We do it to help those individuals. It's sort of a re residual effect that it makes us feel better about ourselves. And you know, if you, you can look at that and you say, well, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty prideful thing to say. But you know, if we're doing the things that we ought to do and helping our neighbor and, and those types of things, we do feel better. We feel like we're fulfilling God's plan for us. We feel like we're doing the things that God would have us to do. And there again, those things are fulfilling in our lives. In Hebrews 10 and verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works. Uh, in another translation, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You know, that, that word provoke oftentimes has a negative connotation, doesn't it? We think of somebody provoking us, and we don't, we don't like that word. We don't like the feeling that we're being provoked, do we? But in this case, it's a good thing. And it's something that happens as we do for others. And the idea here is, as we provoke others and stir up love and good works in them, it becomes something that propagates in others around us if we do those things that God would have us to do. You know, it's much easier to do the right, the right thing when others around you are doing the right thing. And I think this principle here that's being taught 
is uh, something that supports that. That we, as we do those things for others and we do what God would have us to do, others will follow in that same direction. You know, there was a not too long ago a commercial on TV that showed this very concept. It would show someone opening a door for someone else and then that person helped someone else and it just sort of propagated and created a chain through several different people who did good things for others. You know, that's a principle that it's teaching here to provoke others to do good. You know, you never know how your act of kindness will affect someone. And our goal here should be, should not be to make ourselves look good or to feel good about ourselves, but the focus should be on serving others. And if that focus is in the right place, in focusing on others and helping them and serving them, then we'll have a residual effect on our own lives and our, and our uh, attempt to be happier as individuals. You know, this study simply enforces that God, what God had in mind all along. And I think it's funny that the things we see in secular society, they do these things and they think they've, they've revealed something that wasn't known before. But time and time again, we see where God's Word is reinforced by these things. And just in, in those cases, this one remains the same. If we do the things that God has told us to do, we're doing the exact things that they did in this study. And the effects are greater happiness in each of our lives. This is the lesson that I have this morning. I hope I've said something that will be helpful. You know, if you, if you haven't been recognizing the blessings in your life, and you haven't been doing the things that you know God would have you to do to have the life that you want, then I hope we'll think about these things and we'll implement some of these things that we're not doing to try and have that happiness in our lives that we all desire. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.